0: Welcome to this plus podcast in the boardroom with Resnick and Fuller. Before we get started, we'd like to remind everyone that the information and opinions expressed by our speakers today are their own and do not necessarily represent represent the views of their employers or a plus. The contents of these materials may not be relied upon as legal advice. Today in episode three, we discuss why boards and officers need to be particularly thoughtful about the topics of diversity, equity and inclusion or DEI. Stephanie and John will explain how DEI presents a truly unique set of legal concerns because companies can be faulted both for doing too little or for doing too much. Citing trends in recent lawsuits, including one that led to a $10 million jury verdict, they outline the legal risks from both angles. The conversation wraps up with some practical tips about best practices for minimizing risks in your DEI initiatives. Stephanie Resnick is a partner at Fox Rothschild, a national law firm, and is co-chair of the firm's Director and Officers Liability and Corporate Governance Practice Group. For 14 years, Stephanie has been ranked by Chambers USA as a leading litigator in Pennsylvania. She is known for taking the lead in high stakes, bet the company litigation, and defending corporate boards and officers in complex and protracted litigation. Stephanie is a former managing partner of Fox's Philadelphia office and a past chair of its nationwide litigation department. John Cornell Fuller is also a partner at Fox Rothschild and is the other co chair of the firm's director and officers liability and corporate governance practice group. John has extensive experience defending directors and officers of public and private corporations in claims stemming from the discharge of their duties and management decisions. Since 2015, Stephanie and John have been co-authoring articles on topics of interest to corporate boards and directors for a variety of publications, including Corporate Compliance Insights, the Legal Intelligencer, and the Wiley Board Leadership Journal. I will now turn it over to John to get us started.
1: Recording this podcast now, you know, uh, more than two years past the, the protests in the summer of 2020, which called for, uh, among many, many other things, for for companies to improve in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion. The the trends we want to talk about today are are both ones that came at, we saw soon after the summer of 2020, but now a a sort of new wave of of concerns and potential liability for companies. Uh, And and we want to give some thoughts on how to navigate those. And and so even what we don't want to see is even the most well-intentioned companies who want to implement DEI programs uh, are being chilled from doing so because of the concern of doing both too little uh, and both too much. Now, Stephanie, I think you'll agree with me that, you know, for a while we were seeing derivative actions and other actions brought by by shareholders and companies when there had been announcements about new DEI initiatives, but then companies failed to follow through. Am I right in that? That's correct, John. Yeah, and and we saw a lot of different ways that those those came up. We saw them as breach of fiduciary duty claims. We saw them as as claims under you know, proxy uh, solicitation violations under the Securities and Exchange Act. Where there, what there generally been is an announcement about new goals, new priorities, and and then a company not being able to demonstrate to its shareholders that they had met those expectations. And there were a variety of, as I said, a variety of different types of claims, but all going after that sort of general announcement and failure to follow through. And we also saw a huge variety of remedies that they sought, things from changing board structure and composition, demanding training regarding bias and inclusivity, requesting donations to organizations that uh, that promote underrepresented communities,
2: And, John, you know, we have always taken the position that all of those things are good. And, in fact, we wrote an article about the importance of diversity on boards, both from an age perspective, a race perspective, a religious perspective, and other diverse areas. Um, And all of those things we have fully supported, uh, you and I, in terms of our discussions. Of how to make a company better and what should occur with respect to a company's actions with respect to uh, diversity and inclusion.
1: Absolutely. And I think kind of a theme that's coming up in our in these podcasts that we've been doing is another thing that a lot of these early plaintiffs were doing is looking at the increasingly large body of, of writing and study of, of all the benefits of having a diverse board, all, all of the perspectives and how it has real impacts on the bottom line. And, and as we've said, another one's looking at, you can start adding quantitative you know, components to a plaintiff, to a damage uh, argument. It's it's always been fought for litigation.
2: Yeah. And the argument, you know, with respect to having a broad-based board of directors is that everyone comes to the board with their own experience and way to analyze an issue. We've talked frequently about the fact that in terms of financial checks, that has been a really important measure to institute because new board members who have fresh eyes on an institution um, are um, oftentimes the ones that Uh, realize financial issues or irregularities or those types of things, apart from the general uh, view that it's always better to have different views, you know, to at least be discussed um, before a decision is made. So, you know, it's interesting because other countries, not the United States, some of them have quotas. On how many women uh, should be on a board? I mean, there's a number of countries that actually have a quota for uh, women, and the United States has not adopted that approach. And to the contrary, if you get into the area of employee uh, management, you know that is not a good idea to have quotas. Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about some of the the risks.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and, what, and it's interesting yeah. you talk about, about quotas and, and the employee side, because that's, you know, so what we've been talking about, those shareholder actions, you know, I think a lot of people saw, but what we're seeing is this, this component of implementation. And now that people, a lot of companies have announced programs and, and are working to implement them. We're now seeing a wave of, of potential pushback from, from that implementation phase. and And you're, absolutely right that it's, it's in the employment center where there are structures that need to be considered. And one of the ones that sort of grabbed our attention and, and is a, interesting as a sort of construct to think about this this potential area of liability is, uh, is reverse dis- discrimination lawsuits. And, and in particular, one in, in North Carolina where a jury recently awarded $10 million in punitive damages To a a white male senior vice president who alleged that he and seven other white executives had been terminated in furtherance of the company's DEI program. Now, should say that uh, the the punitive damage award was subsequently reduced to three hundred thousand dollars, but it's a big jury verdict and should give everyone pause. And the plaintiff was ultimately awarded about four million dollars in both compensation uh, compensatory damages.
2: In this case, it's very important to um, highlight the need to effectuate or implement a DEI policy correctly. So in this case, it really was the implementation of that policy that caused harm to the company ultimately.
1: Absolutely. And I think just to touch on on the facts and and how that played out here is that in response to the allegation from the plaintiff uh, that, that had been fired you know, because he was white and in furtherance of this DNI policy to make room for uh, essentially for, for more diverse employees, the company responded that, in fact, the vice president had been underperforming despite positive reviews throughout his career saying that he you know, really needed to be finding new opportunities and be quote exceptional in his role, and that he was not. Um, the company also pointed out from a legal standpoint that there had been no allegations by the plaintiff that he was ever discriminated against on the basis of race during the course of his employment. It was only, you know, as he alleged, uh, the cause of his termination. Now, plaintiff responded that that was all pretext, and and the case went to trial—a seven-day trial. And what's very interesting in, in the sort of current context is. At trial, the plaintiff traced the announcement, for instance, of a new d policy by the company. He then was able to look at when that d committee had met, decisions that they had made, things like, you could call them goals, they called them quotas, about where the company wanted to be in terms of diversity. And then in the timeline, the actions and the, the terminations of, of certain uh, individuals immediately after these meetings. And it was... That it was that timeline, that announcement, and that's something new, right? These, these are still the same employment laws that have been out there, but the fact that a plaintiff is now turning and looking at this very outward set of statements about where the company is going and how they're going to get there, to your point, the implementation is now a place that, that has needs to be looked at.
2: Yeah, and that was just the timing. I mean, in that case, we have to focus on the timing because the timing – was very difficult to set aside. I mean, you have the the DEI policy, you have the meeting with the committee, and then you have the termination of eight white senior executives. And so that is not something that we recommend um, for companies. Uh, What we recommend is to have a broad-based DEI policy. Uh, We think it's absolutely imperative in these Uh, times and necessary. And if implemented correctly, it will bring strength to the organization. Uh, But if implemented in a faulty way, these are some of the risks that a company can encounter. You know, I think that any implementation of a DEI policy has to be very thoughtful. And hopefully, you have a diverse board that is actually determining the DEI policy and the guideposts in that policy. We should stay away from quotas. There should be more general uh, guideposts in terms of uh, what the company wants to do inspirationally and in fact, can ultimately accomplish.
1: Absolutely, and I think, as we said before, and we certainly don't want to be chilling anyone's, you know, implementation of these, you know, we have not seen an onslaught to be clear of, of reverse discrimination type claims, but we want to be clear that they're out there and it is, people are getting headlines. And and to Stephanie's point, the thoughtfulness of the implementation is key. Um, The board, you know, we were in a phase where boards were announcing really progressive and thoughtful plans, but now you need to follow up. There needs to be a dialogue with whoever you're whether inside counsel or outside counsel on things like the impact on employees and, and the, the interrelation with employment laws. So you need to have that dialogue. You know, the attorneys, especially if, if you're working with the right attorneys, should not be the ones saying, no, 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 we can't do this. You need to understand what you're trying to accomplish and what their concerns are under the law and work together to arrive at that. Stephanie, I I couldn't agree.
2: Yeah, and some of the best practices would be, as John just said, a coordination between council and either the board or the DEI committee or upper management that's dealing with DEI policies. You know, it's very important that um, the in-house lawyer or outside lawyer is aware of the policies that the company has Promulgated and wants to uh, move forward with. So that's one of the ways that we think um, ultimately would be a best practice. Another thing is that while a company may want to set specific targets for percentage of diverse employees, uh, we suggest that there be no such uh, percentage in a policy again it should be a guidepost
1: exactly and i think the, and you know to people listening who there was a big push for people to come out in in the name of transparency to identify where you are in terms of diversity as a company and, and and set real goals and then report back on whether you had improved in in real transparent terms and and so we want to be clear that having goals like that is is okay and again is is good is a good way to drive diversity the problem is on the legal side, quotas are illegal. You can't, you can't fill those spots specifically based on that criteria. So what, what's the difference? And it is, it is very fact sensitive to try to find the difference between what a company may announce as a goal and what a, a challenging you know, either a government agency or, or plaintiff may see as a quota. And a lot of it's going to come down to, was there pressure to meet the goal? Was there compensation tied to meeting the goal? Were there, were there punishments or, or other repercussions for not meeting the goal? That's Those are things that make it look like a quota and a requirement, as opposed to, as Stephanie said, a guidepost and a meaningful and transparent guidepost. So if, you, if you're working with a company that has made those announcements, they're not per se improper and they can be a good driver, just need to make sure that they remain as guideposts and, and that decisions aren't being made trying to... Hit those at all costs. You need to to stay cognizant of of the other, the multitude of other things that go into employment decisions.
2: And I think that if you follow the policy that, you know, diversity is good and ultimately helps a company, but implement those suggestions and those expectations in a manner that's thoughtful and careful, uh, there won't be an issue because otherwise you're caught in the middle. It's like, do I do this or don't I do this? But you can do this, certainly. It's just a matter of doing it in a thoughtful manner.
1: The third and last sort of point we wanted to raise in terms of best practice and moving forward is there is a, a, there are a lot of headlines about these initiatives. And there are a lot of a, a lot of different companies, a lot of different industries doing a lot of tackling these issues in a lot of different ways. And so one of our recommendations is to to look at your industry, look at similarly situated companies, see how they are not only the, the level of expectation that they're setting, which we think should be as high as, as you can, but how they're implementing it, how, how quickly these things are being implemented. Because following what might be happening in Silicon Valley uh, and the announcements and all the pressures that they're going through and, and what HR and, and, and legal counsel is doing with them to talk to them about implementation, you might not see the implementation. But thinking that you have to be at those standards and have to race to get there could, be, could have pitfalls. So think about what you can do. Make sure you're talking with your, your council and thinking about implementation, because that's not what you're going to see. You're going to see headlines uh, about announcements, not, not how they're getting there. Uh, okay. I don't know if you have anything else you want to well, I
2: think that's a really good point, John. And uh, again, I think that there should be a continued push for diversity, equity, and inclusion policies, and they just need to be implemented in the right manner. Couldn't agree more.
0: Great. Thank you, Stephanie and John, and thank you all for listening to this PLUS podcast. If you should have an idea about a possible podcast episode, you can always submit those on the PLUS website using the content idea form.